John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Okay, we made it through another week as we head into week eight of the National Football League. Of course, one game played last night, Atlanta beating Carolina. But before we get started here, yesterday on Bob, Dave, and Moore, I related a story about Jack Lambert that I realized was offensive and inappropriate. I want to apologize, and I want to say it will never happen again. I'm sorry. Now, we have a great show today. K.J. Wright's going to be joining us and uh, talking about the defense. Certainly a big game coming up against the San Francisco 49ers over the weekend on what's going to be a big NFL weekend. You've got Baltimore-Pittsburgh. You've got the big game coming up between New England, which might be sellers right now, and the Buffalo Bills. Really, the AFC is going to get a lot of exposure this week to see the playoff teams. But let's get started with the five biggest stories of the day. Number one, I think the great teams find ways to come back stronger than they than the, than the last time they played. And I think that you know, for me personally, where I find you know my clarity, to be honest with you, is just being being neutral, being you know not being too high, not being too low. You know, going back through everything that I've gone through and uh, and uh, checking it out and just processing it all. I think that the the ability to be able to stay focused and stay uh, zoned in on what the process is and. You know, you know there's going to be highs, there's going to be lows throughout the season. But I always expect way more highs than lows. And, of course, that's the one thing about Russell Wilson. He's one of the absolute best in being able to bounce back after a loss. And, you know, he, like everybody else, took part of the loss. He had the three interceptions. You know, he had the, uh, of course, the defense gave up way too many yards, too many points, all those different things. A couple key mistakes and penalties. That all worked against the Seahawks in that 37-34 loss. But... It's bounce-back time. And right now, despite the uh, loss to Arizona in the victories in the last two weeks by San Francisco, 5-2 and two record by Arizona and the Rams, you know, the Seahawks still have, I think, the lead as the number one seed. But things have to tighten up. Both teams have injuries, which we'll get into in a second. But overall, what the heck was that? But, okay, overall, that was the... Uh, uh, fire alarm here, so uh, that kind of was a little scary. But nevertheless, it's like, uh, you know, the 49ers have got two straight wins, and so now it's going to be a matter of Seattle doing it. And I guess the similarity is very shocking, Curtis, compared to last year. You remember going into the final two weeks of the season that what happened was that, uh, you know, the running backs were all injured. Uh, Seahawks had a bad performance against Arizona and lost. They bounced back with limited numbers at the running back position and still almost beat the 49ers were it not for a non-call. And so with that in mind, now it's a matter here this game comes up. Arizona, they lose the running backs. Now they come into San Francisco, limited number of running backs. And so uh, can they match that, Curtis? Yeah, I, I guess the good thing is this one won't decide home field advantage throughout the postseason, but... Like you said, John, it is going to be very similar to what we saw in Week 17 a year ago, especially with the health of the running backs. I think, though, the difference between now and then is that Seattle's offense, everybody knows it has ran through Russell Wilson. It has ran through his right arm. Last year, that wasn't the case. They tried to get that running game going regardless of how good Russell Wilson was playing last year. This year, everybody knows it, so they may not be as reliant on the running game on Sunday as they were in Week 17 a year ago. I think Seattle is in a better position to make some noise on Sunday than they were at the end of the year last year. No doubt about it. And, of course, the defense 
defense uh, needs to step up against the 49ers offense. Pre-game coverage begins at 10 a.m. The kickoff will be at 125, and you can hear it only on 710 ESPN Seattle. Number two. We're going all the way to game day. And uh, with a few guys here, we're going to have to wait and see. You know, Homer's coming back. Uh, we got to see how Chris's foot is. Um, we're going all the way to game day on that one. Um, it looks like Carlos has got a hamstring that, that might keep him from getting in there, Carlos Hyde. Um, so we've got some issues. You know, uh, Jamal wound up ill um, in the middle of the week here, so it set him back. Uh, we'll find out what, you know where he is uh, You know, by game day. Well, he will not have had a, a you know quality work week, so we'll see what that means. So it's, there's just some question marks, and we're just, well, just have to wait and see. And I wish I don't have the answers for you right now. And I really wouldn't, wouldn't tell you a whole lot anyway. But uh, well, I don't know what's going to happen until we get all the way to Sunday, I believe. Yeah, it was kind of a crazy practice, non-practice day yesterday. And, of course, that was Pete Carroll on with Dave Wyman on 97.3 Cairo. Uh, <clears throat> because, you know, we had Chris Carson out, Carlos Hyde out, Jamal Adams out. Travis Homer is going to be able to play, but he didn't practice yesterday. Mike Yapati with the back didn't practice. Shaquille Griffin in concussion and hamstring. You got Ugo Amati with a hamstring and Vincent Mayo with an ankle. Uh, limited were Ryan Neal uh, with a hamstring and Quinton Dunbar with a knee. So it does look like, uh, you know, right now the main back is going to be DJ DJ Dallas. But uh, as Pete said, that they're going to see what they can do with Chris Carson. Maybe iffy on Carlos Hyde. And it does look like Travis Homer is going to be back. You know, the big one certainly is if there's a way that Chris Carson can be able to play so they can manufacture some kind of a running game. Clearly, if he does with that midfoot sprain, you know, he's not going to be getting 20 carries. Uh, you know, they're just going to have to fight through that and try to mix and match and do the different things that they can. So see where it goes there. As far as the 49ers, you know, they're still injury-ridden. I mean, you know, Jaquest Hart uh, still not looking like he may be able to go. He's a safety for them. And, of course, uh, you know that there's not going to be any Richard Sherman coming off the injury list. They do have several players who come, come can come back. I know John Lynch, uh, who we talked to yesterday, said that Telvin Coleman is going to be available on Sunday. He's on injured reserve, and he's going to be needed because, you know, their top two running backs are out. Jeff Wilson went on injured, or he's hurt. He's got a high ankle sprain. And then uh, Rasheem Mozart, Mozart, he's all banged up, So and he's on injured reserve. So stay tuned for the injury list. There's going to be interesting inactives uh, and decisions to come when we talk about that on Sunday morning. Number three. Second down and 10. He's going to hand to Collins who finds some running room right side. Across the 40. 35. Barrels over a defender down to the 25-yard line of San Francisco. Easily the best run of the day. And Alex Collins patiently finding that gap. Firing through it and picks up 26 and a Hawks first down. ESPN's Brady Henderson reporting that Alex Collins is uh, reporting this morning and looking like he may sign to the practice squad, but of course it's going to take six days for him to go through COVID's testing and go through all the things that are going to be needed, so he's going to be more available next week on the practice squad. He hasn't played in a regular season game since 2018 with Baltimore. Drafted back in nineteen in 2016, had a really good season with the Ravens, almost 1,000 yards in 2017. Again, he's not eligible Sunday because, again, of the pro- protocols. But, again, he can be available for Week 9, much like it is for Carlos Dun- Dunlap. Number four. On third down and six. Takes the snap. Moves to the left of the pocket. Flag comes in, throws downfield, and it's intercepted by Bleeding Ray Wilson, who goes down to the ground after catching it around the 10-yard line. And Bleeding Ray Wilson's interception will stand his second of the season, and it's going to be the game clincher for the Atlanta Falcons.
Well, it wasn't pretty, but Atlanta got a victory 25-17 on a, you know, kind of an off Thursday night football game. Uh, there was controversy, though. Quarterback of the Car- uh, Carolina Panthers, Teddy Bridgewater, had to leave the game for a little bit. He was able to come back after a bad hit by Charles Harris, a defensive end who they picked up in a trade. Uh, Bridgewater returned, but of course, uh, Harris didn't because he was ejected. Uh, Matt Ryan had a pretty good game, 21 for 30, 281 yards and a rushing touchdown, believe it or not. Back to Julio Jones, who's been kind of injured a lot of this season. He had seven catches, 137 yards. Uh, Former Seahawk running back has been doing well all season, Mike Davis. He had 66 yards rushing. So now, with the victory, the Falcons are 2-6. and The Carolina Panthers are 3-5. and Number five. I think it's really exciting for our offense and our team. It'll show, you know, what kind of team that, you know, we we kind of have, you know, after a bye week and whatnot. But we know what we're going up against. We're going up against um, one of the top NFL defenses, you know, in, in the league. Um, and it, it's not just Jalen Ramsey. It's not just Aaron Donald. You know, you guys got, you know, Leonard Floyd. You guys got Brockers, Young, um, and then Troy Hill, guys on the back end. You know, so they're, they're very sound um, defensively. So, you know, we're really trying our best to prepare. And so Tua Tagovailoa is now going to be making his first start going against the Rams on Sunday. And nobody knows what he's going to, what you'd expect and what he's going to do. Oh, you know, it could be a tough game for the Dolphins, you know, because here they are. They're a three and three, but how good are they? You know, they did get a great win in San Francisco, but you don't know where they stand as far as some of their defense. They're good at cornerback, but they have other issues. And right now the Rams come in at five and two and they're on a roll. They're looking good. Now, again, they did lose a couple weeks ago to San Francisco, which kind of caught them, and they bounced back for that. You know, the Rams right now benefiting from the easy schedule to start the season, as the Seahawks and 49ers and other teams have in this division, and of course it gets easier for the Seahawks than the other three teams. So the the kickoff for that game is going to be 10 a.m., and that's going to be on Fox. Important game to kind of monitor, and again, Tua Tagovailoa is one that uh, is making his first start. He's now one of three rookie quarterbacks out there. Justin Herbert's doing great. I think you see a lot of good things right now as far as what's there as far as the rookie quarterbacks because again they look pretty good and uh you know we'll we'll see if Tua fits in the mix too uh overall pretty good class of quarterbacks hey listen to the show via the 710 sports app it's powered by the Dubin Law Group coming up next we're going to go into further review and study the injuries and see which injury could have the biggest impact on Sunday it's the John Clayton Show 710 ESPN Seattle Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. Naturally, you worry uh, when you have to have an injury list where on Thursday you have nine guys out of practice. But, of course, that pales to uh, what's been going on with the San Francisco 49ers. You know, a 49er team, they just had to put, they lost Debo Samuel. He's not going to be able to play for a couple weeks. And that's the second time he's been hurt this year. He missed the beginning of the season with a uh, Jones fracture. They've had, you know, and they're not going to have Richie James, who had been on the injured list at wide receiver. And then, of course, their secondary has just been abused. I mean, in the sense that uh, Richard Sherman remains out. He's on the injured reserve list. You know, they're going to get Kawan Williams, who's a really good nickel cornerback back. And so that that will help them out. But they may be down another safety. Uh, they've just they've got more injuries. Uh, and, and back, actually, they've got more missed starts than any other team in the league. I think I totaled it up the other day. There was like 59. But for Seattle, the biggest worry is, you know, the nine guys. And, of course, the biggest worries are going to be, okay, can you get Jamal Adams? 
Adams back on the field? What about the uh, running backs? Who's going to be there? So I know that Michael Bumpus was on with Danny and Gallant today, and he talked about uh, what the injuries is and what could be the biggest impact, which injury could impact everything the most. The Seahawks have a ton of injuries. Which Seahawks injury is most concerning for Sunday's matchup at CenturyLink against San Fran? See, now the easy one would be Jamal Adams, right? You're like, oh, we got to get this guy back. It brings yep. intensity. That's what I'm feeling. I'm thinking Chris Carson, man. Chris Carson and Travis Homer, like a combined injury because at some point you're going to need to run the football. I I think DJ Dallas is a good ball player. He might be able to get it done, but there's nothing like having guys who have been there who have done that. So not having Chris Carson in to hound it in the end zone once you get in the red zone and not having Travis Homer to protect Russell Wilson when it, you have to go on those long drives where you know they're going to blitz you, that concerns me the most. Ryan Neal has played okay. He's banged up as well. But I look at that run game and I look at the pass protection and that's something that needs to happen. You need to be able to run the ball at least, what, 15 times a game to keep these guys honest. And you need to be able to protect Russell Wilson because these guys are going to look at that film and say, okay, we can pressure him. If DJ Dallas is in the game, let's make the rookie confused. Let's make him put on his thinking cap, cap, as my teacher used to say in third grade, put on your thinking caps and make him try to sort this thing out. So I'm looking at Chris Carson and Travis Homer combined. Yeah, I think right now uh, the running back thing is a little bit more worrisome than uh, Jamal Adams because, you know, Ryan Neal's done a good job, but they, you know, it doesn't, it still sounds as if there's a chance that Jamal might play because what you wonder is Pete Carroll was talking to Dave Wyman this morning on 97.3 Cairo that, uh, you know, there's still that, uh, as an illness that kind of set him back. But he didn't say necessarily it was any setback coming back from the groin injury. But he did miss practice. But, of course, at this stage, I mean, this is a vital game. You know, you have to just have to say if he can be healthy enough to play and not risk any further injury. And so that can go. But, you know, I think it's a combination where if you don't have uh, either if you don't have both Carlos Hyde and Chris Carson, it's going to be tough because now you're going Travis Homer is going to be able to play. You have the ability to do things with uh, DJ Dallas and also Mike Bel. Or, you know, as a fullback, might be able to help out and do some things from the backfield, maybe short yardage plays or something of that nature. And then then you have to wonder, it's like, okay, if you have just DJ Dallas, I mean, do you go more three receivers? Do you go four receivers, spread the field and do all those different things, you know, trying to at least take advantage of the cornerback situation of the 49ers. I mean, the ideal thing, because, again, you want balance. You want running. You want the ability to try to, you know, get a running game established. It's so important. And then particularly if you have the lead you want to be able to run the game out and so that's going to be in question and so you know i i don't know curtis here i'm just trying to think through this right now and we saw this as a big disaster with the new york jets right so what they did is mika bankton Beckton, the uh, first round pick at left tackle, he had a shoulder injury, and and we've seen this happen with a lot of teams. Seattle's done it too. You take a guy and you say, okay, let's just have him in there as an emergency guy. And of course, Beckton comes on the field, and within one or two plays, he gets hurt, and then he has to miss some time. Don't you get the possibility could be that you know Chris Carson, particularly if Carlos Hyde can't go, may just be active, and if they need him, they can go to him. It's very possible, yeah. They just dress him yeah. and, and keep him on the sideline, maybe use him in 
uh, a desperate situation, maybe like what they found themselves in last week in that third and two spot with Carlos Hyde in the backfield. He wasn't able to get that first down. Uh, I wonder if Car- if Chris Carson were healthy, uh, if he would have been able to get that first down. We know the kind of running style that Carson has. He's he's a battering ram. Yeah, he yeah. likes to put his head down and, and go, and, and he's going to fight for every last yard that, that is out there, that is available to him. Uh, I I think that's a very real possibility, especially with how few running backs uh, could potentially go here. We know DJ Dallas is going to be good for Sunday. He was a full participant yesterday dealing with that arm injury. But the rest of the running back group, John, I mean, I don't think you can get by with just the one, especially with Seattle's offense and, and how they like to sort of divvy up the carries. Russell Wilson, he has the ability to run. Maybe they do some more design runs with him, but you also risk, uh, you know, a potential injury, uh, you know, if he were to take some take a weird hit or something like that. So it, it's going to be wild how they juggle the running back spot because they don't get Alex Collins for this game. He still has to go through the COVID intake process. Uh, so, John, if Carson and Hyde and Homer, I, I would say if two of those three can't go, how are they going to be able to to divvy up the carries? Do we think Nick Ballore maybe gets yeah, that's some? What I, I think that's a suggestion. But, I mean, Pete did tell Dave Wyman today that it looks like uh, Homer's going to be able to go. Well, so it's good. like uh, with that knee injury. So at least you know you have two and possibly three if you include Belor, but you you need one of the other two, whether it's going to be Hyde or whether it's going to be Carson. And you know, it's like I think it was kind of interesting as as a coach would do, kind of in that coy way. You know, come back and say, uh, well, you know, it's like I'm not going to totally tell you all these different things because you want to keep them guessing. And of course, you know, it really has the 49ers guessing if they know that uh, you know the top two, and if you include Rashad. Penny, who's not going to be active, the top three running backs on this team, you know, may not be available. Then you have to do some head scratching. But of course, if indeed they then go Sunday morning and find out, oh yeah, well here's Hyde and here's Carson, and it's like, okay, so they will have them all. But I, I'm still just amazed is that uh, you know this team for the last couple years and for, in most years have been deep at the running back position. You know, they've had numbers, right? And uh, all of a sudden you get those squats of injuries that happen, and so all of a sudden you're down to almost nothing. I mean. We were down at least in practice this week to DJ Dallas, and that was it. Yeah, and it kind of puts an emphasis on getting Rashad Penny back in the lineup, at least over the next couple of weeks, because we know he's getting closer and closer to, to rejoining the team after you know his season-ending injury a year ago. And I don't think it could come at a better time for the Seahawks team, especially with how beat up that running back group is. Uh, with Chris Carson, you don't know if he's going to be available over the next couple of weeks because of that injury that he suffered against Arizona. So getting him back, getting you know maybe Alex Collins into the lineup over the next couple of weeks, that's going to be huge for this Seahawks running back group in terms of depth. And it, it just goes to show, John, that you cannot have enough depth in no. this group because there was a lot of talk when Carlos Hyde was signed. It's like, what are the Seahawks doing? What are they doing signing a 1,000-yard rusher uh, when they already have Carson and they already have Penny? They, they just drafted DJ Dallas. They've got Travis Homer. It made no sense at the time, but with the volatility of running backs in the NFL, I look at, I, I view them as sort of like relief pitchers in baseball. You can never have enough relievers. You can ha- never have enough guys to get the ball to your closer. And because of how volatile they are, because of how injured they get, 
And now we're seeing the the reasoning behind why the Seahawks emphasize the running back group so much, why they emphasize their tight end group so much in the offseason, is that for situations just like this, where the injuries pile up, that's just how it is in the NFL. And uh, right now the Seahawks are dealing with it. And, well, luckily for them, so is their opponent because their running back situation just as bleak as Seattle's. No doubt. And so it's just a, a struggle. But, again, this year more teams are going through it than ever before. That's why it's so thankful you have 16 practice squad players available. But what I thought was interesting is that uh, you know you had to think that John Snyder must have thought that they could get through that some of these guys were going to be back because you know John is as aggressive as anybody and you know he didn't get a running back. He didn't get Alex Collins to come in this week or he didn't get another running back to be on the be available. And so because uh, again, if it gets past Monday, then uh you know, you can't get anybody on a roster for a Sunday game because you have to go through the 6 days of covid testing and trying to get them there. So, I mean, as of Monday, he must have thought uh, that okay, they can get by because none of the 16 practice squad players were running backs. And so they'll have Alex Collins if he passes the test next week to be available. But, uh, you know, I still kind of get the feeling that uh, it looks grim right now, but something could happen positive that, you know, one of the backs, whether it's Carlos Hyde or whether it's Chris Carson, and maybe if they're lucky, both will be able to go. We'll see, but uh, it's going to be a big, big challenge. Hey, tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or app. Coming up next... Linebacker K.J. Wright of the Seattle Seahawks talking defense, talking the great season he's having. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Play fake to Drake and the toss to Hopkins and K.J. Wright. Boy, the Seahawks have seen that play twice now. The smoke screen outside and Seattle running right around the blockers to make the tackle. A loss of yards on the play. K.J. read that one perfectly. We are pleased to be joined by K.J. Wright, who is having an absolute phenomenal season, looking so good, chasing people down and all that stuff. And so, K.J., it's like, I, I knew last year was good, but your game has even come up another level this year. What's going on? Last year was, like you said, last year was very fun. I was, you know, career year and tackles and, you know, TFLs and all that good stuff. And this year, we had it towards the right track. And um, this year is more... It's not, it's not as many tackles as I would like, but still the playmaking ability has been fun. You know, get my hands on footballs, you know, getting interceptions and um, TFLs, still sniffing out screens, of course. But um, this year it's just going just as good. And so year 10, contract year, and, um, you know, on a really good team, of, of course. So got to keep it going. Well, you're pretty well ri- wired around the league. Uh, you know, what's your thoughts on uh, getting some Pro Bowl votes? I would love that. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> you've been there, but it's like you like to go back. I've I've been there once. I should have been there about three, four times, but you know, I just got to just keep making plays, man. Keep making those plays, especially on prime time when everybody's watching. And so, um, I got a lot more work to do. It's still early in the season, but it's all about staying consistent. You know, obviously playing team ball and just keep winning. And um, you know when those plays come to you, I got to make them. Yeah, and of course, I mean, you you know the comparable I've had with you for so many years is Thomas Davis, who is kind of yeah. like you. He's been shut out of more Pro Bowls than he should have gone because again, he should have gone to many more than what he's went to, and he's had a great career. But you like him, such a good cover guy too. Yeah, and the thing with Thomas is like people started noticing how great he was like towards the end of you know end uh, end of his career. 
Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I always watched him. Me and Bobby love watching Thomas Davis. And, um, you know, I always watched this game and, and resemble it after him. And so, yeah, we're kind of in the same boat. And it's a lot of guys. But like Levante Davis, he's always been really good linebacker. But, you know, people are just, you know, starting to notice it more, which is which is good. And so you've got to keep it going. 4-3 outside linebackers need more love. You know, usually those 3-4 outside linebackers get all the love. But now the 4-3 outside guys need some. Yeah, absolutely. So what was your thought on the Carlos Dunbar trade? Dunlap. Or Dunlap. I'm sorry, Carlos Dunlap. <laughs> um, I, I, I liked it. it. I saw that in Cincy he wasn't, you know, playing as much. And and um, I've always watched him throughout his whole career. He's averaging around, you know, 9, 10 sacks a season. And so we need depth. We need guys to come in and um, – you know, help us out, and it's going to be really good. He's going to come in, and I think he'll be just fine. Anybody that comes to the Seahawks, you know, build, and we welcome him with open arms, and when he step on the field, I'm sure he's going to be, you know, special like he was in Cincinnati. Well, and that's the thing uh, with him is that, uh, and, you know, the scouting report is, even though he's 6'6", 285, would fit more as a five technique, I mean, he plays the edge well enough that he could help Benson Mayoa out at the Leo. Yeah, yeah, and I, I believe I believe that may be the game plan. He can play on the edge, and he, we can also put him in where LJ is. And so he's a dude that's you know extremely versatile. But I I, I can't get over how long his dude arms is. And so yeah, you know just you know beat up tackles, beat up tight ends, and you see the way we play in our defense. We got our DNs outside rather than inside on the tackles like we had in the past. And so. It's going to be fun to watch it, man. And um, I believe he gets here. He'll be able to play next week for us. Is that more like the nine technique? Yes, yes. Okay, okay yeah. Yep. That's that's the one, of course, Jeff Fisher had at Tennessee. Jim Schwartz has at Philadelphia. Yeah, and, of course, it does give you a chance to be on the edge and do it. In fact, i got to ask you this because the the game has changed so much, you know, particularly now with the mobile quarterbacks and also the motion that goes pre-snap and all that stuff. And to a point now for a guy like yourself, you have to cover every inch of the field in what used to be a sport that was run between the numbers. Yeah, the, the game definitely has, you know, got on the perimeter a whole lot more. Even even this week, it's definitely going to be a perimeter team, get guys on the edges. And so um, you just got to adjust with it. You got to adjust with it and find ways where you can make your plays, see how the offense is trying to attack you, and, you know, schedule a defensive game plan that, that, that fits accordingly. No doubt. And so what? how do you look at what's happened to the defense so far this year? And, of course, uh, you know, I have in the national perspective, I keep on telling everybody, it's like, hey, it's not just here. That's the way the game is right now because the numbers being put up on, on offense is equal to what you saw in 1961 with the AFL. You didn't see it. I saw it. Uh, but that's, that's <laughs> yeah. all far back because it's a different type of game now because, you know, no holding penalties for the most part. Uh, you've, got, you've got, you know, up and down type of stuff. And of course, all the motion and everything. I mean, it's tough. And there's been so many defensive players that have been injured. Yeah, and um, all of that. And you know, with this defense, I just I've been accustomed to teams not scoring as many points, teams not getting as many yards. The third down not being as bad as it is. And so it's been extremely frustrating. I can't lie. It's it's been covered up a little bit by the wins that we've been getting. But you know, John, last week it really stung me. It, it stung. It stung us really bad giving up that many points, you know, offense scored 34 points. And mm-hmm. so we, we, we're, we're still optimistic. We still know that it can definitely turn around. Good thing about it is that this happened early in the season. And so it will, get, it's been addressed. It will get corrected. And I'm, and I have, you know, nothing but faith that my defense and the coaching staff 
that we're going to get this thing turned around. Yeah, because again, I mean, you know, it's still the pressure. How how similar is what you're seeing? Again, obviously it's different because there's more yards in that and even less sacks. But, you know, last year you almost had to play a little, lot more zone to keep things in front of you. Is that kind of the strategy so far in the first uh, six games? Yeah, we we definitely did that. As you saw earlier, um, a lot of balls getting over thrown over the top of our heads and so. Like, hey, guys, we got to eliminate these explosive um, pass sharks. So try to switch some stuff up. And so we just got to find something that sticks with us. And, you know, we're going we to definitely find our stride, you know, get our groove and just play really good team defensive ball because the offense is doing their part. And it's time for us to, to join the party. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. It's like uh, I know that the teams that you beat have bad records, but all but maybe if you want to include Ryan Fitzpatrick, which I think you can't because he's actually yeah. pretty good, it's like you've played good quarterbacks. And, of course, against those good quarterbacks in, what, four of the six or five of the six games, I mean, you've had double-digit leads in a record, almost going to be yeah. a record year for double-digit comebacks. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and you know, in, John, in this league, I, I believe that uh, looking at our schedule, most of the quarters are going to be pretty dang good. And so we, we know that it's going to be like that. It's like you saw, we had a double-digit lead um, yes, or, not, or this past Sunday. And um, you got to find ways to close those games. you got to close them. And so um, we, we definitely did some self-scouting and saw some, saw some stuff that we got to improve. And um, going forward, it, it cannot continue. Yeah, the double-digit comebacks, by the way, there's a similarity to it. It's like, okay, there's been 22 this year for wins, and that was 21 back in 2011. And, of course, you go back, the last time was 1987, where there was 23 was the record. What was the similarity? Uh, it was replacement games in 87. It was a lockout yeah. in 2011 lockout. and no, no off-season program. <laughs> and, of course, no off-season program and no preseason games this year. Yeah, so so let me. So what's going to happen next year? Will it be much better defense next year? What's up? Is that is that what you're predicting? Yeah, well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you why there's going to be much better defense is because you're not going to have all those defensive tackles that opted out are going to be back. All those defend. I mean, you know what? All the linebackers that opted out, they're going to be back, and yeah. you know it's going to be tough because again, it's going to be a younger league because with a hundred and seventy-five million dollar cap or whatever it's going to be, you know, more guys are going to be knocked out that are making good money because that's just going to be the case. Mm-hmm. But again, it's like yeah, I think defense will bounce back a little bit more next year. Because I don't, you know, I don't know if they're going to continue the non-holding thing, but you know, there's only like 1.2 holding penalties a game right wow. now. Wow, wow! So I wasn't even aware of that. Yeah, in fact, it was it was a little more this week. Like for example, in week, uh, you know, week six, there was like 17. And I'm not counting on special teams, right? I'm not counting the mm-hmm. ones on punts and kickoffs. And there was only 17 that were marched off, and there was like 21 marched off this week. But you're averaging maybe like 20 marched off holding penalties a week, and that's not a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, it's it's, it's okay. a different it's yeah, a different yeah. game. KJ is always great. Have continue having a good season, and I guess get that defense back together. Will do, Professor. Thank you. KJ Wright, were they good to, and again, I'm so happy because I remember we take, you know, so many different people would have call-ins and different things. Hey, do you think that they should cut and get saved the cap room on KJ Wright? Could you imagine how bad it would have been if they would have done something like that? And that never was in the cards. I mean, you know, KJ is so important just from the playing standpoint because he's having such a great season. He had a great season last year, but it's even better this year. But also, you know, both he and Bobby Wagner have been such a presence in trying to keep 
the leadership on this team to a point where, hey, guys aren't going out and bringing back uh, positive COVID tests. And that's why it was so important to have both the play and the leadership of Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, Dwayne Brown, and so many others. Hey, be sure to check out the Professor's Notes on 710sports.com. The Professor's Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we'll go behind the lines and check out what's going on in the National Football League. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. Big weekend in National Football League. Lots of great games. I mean, uh, well, I mean, not lots of great games, but because uh, again, you have so many have-nots and all that stuff. But I think things will take shape now in the AFC because in the AFC, what you have is you know the final straw maybe for the New England Patriots uh, with them playing in Buffalo against the Buffalo Bills. And with that in mind, it's like, okay, how can uh, you know are they going to be able to get this all done and win that division? And right now, uh, there's rumblings all through the league that uh, the Patriots on Monday and Tuesday, if they lose, are going to be trying to see how many trades they can get, get get guys off the roster. I mean, you know that Stephon Gilmore had uh, at least put his home up for sale and he wanted a Tuesday bid on his home to try to, you know, see if he wants out. And I kind of, I just wonder what is internally going on with the Patriots? Number one, we know that Bill Belichick, for the second straight year, did not do a good job of putting together skilled position players. I mean, you go back last year, and you know, I, I still use the stat, which is amazing, that Jacob, Jacob Hollister ended up having more catches. And he remember, he was on the practice squad at the beginning of the year. He came over to Seattle on a seventh-round pick. More catches than the three tight ends combined on that team. And then, you know, other than Julian Edelman, sure, they did try to do some things with Antonio Brown. They did some things with Josh Gordon. But, of course, that didn't work out, and they were gone, and they didn't have much else. And so now things are even worse. Edelman had surgery on his knee this week, so he's going to be out several weeks. Uh, they you know, they ended up drafting two third-round picks. They've combined for one catch. The only remaining tight end from last year was Ryan Izzo, and he's got like about seven catches. So they got eight catches from the tight ends. Cam Newton's in an absolute funk for the last couple of days, and that's not looking good. And so I'm kind of getting the feeling that uh, the Patriots are ready to bow out this season and then try to see what they can do in building things back next year, Curtis. It's, yeah, it's very very possible, John, and who knows? Maybe they try to dip their toe into this year's quarterback draft class. I know Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one pick. I don't think the Patriots are going to be that bad. I don't think mm-hmm. they're going to pull the plug entirely, but there are other guys available. Justin Fields of Ohio State. Uh, a lot of people expect him to get uh, to get drafted early in the draft. I think North Dakota State quarterback Trey Lance is another guy who people are very high on. Uh, so I think those two guys could be in the market. Uh, maybe New England's got an eye on them, but also I think one one thing that really set New England back over the last couple of years is their first-round draft pick in 2019, Nikhil Harry, the wide receiver. Everybody expected him to be a really good wide receiver. I mean, heck, you've got Tom Brady throwing to you. Of course you're going to be a great wide receiver. That He has just not developed no. at all since coming into the NFL. I think that has really set them back offensively because I think they had sort of designated him as the heir apparent to Julian Edelman as the number one target in that offense, and he has just flat-out not shown up. And he has been uh, maybe the biggest disappointment of that 2019 first round, uh, considering the expectations that were placed on him and, and where they are now. John, the Stephon Gilmore uh, trade watch, I guess. Uh, Gilmore uh, 
he popped up on Thursday's injury report is limited with a knee problem. Uh, he hadn't been listed on Tuesday of this week. Uh, Ian Rappaport reported that Gilmore tweaked his knee. It was bad enough to trigger an MRI. Do you think that might throw a wrench into any sort of trade plans that the Patriots have, considering how long it takes for a player to actually appear on another team's roster after you trade him? You know, either that or the just the price of what it's going to cost to get him, because I don't think they want to give him at a discount, but there's going to have to be some kind of a discount, because you know when you're looking at a contract that big, I mean, you're not going to give up a first-round pick and then take on that big contract. And so, like, for example, some people think maybe the Tennessee Titans would do something like that, but I don't know if they can have the, uh, you know, they they have about $8.3 million of cap room, but uh, I don't know if they can put it all together and do something. So I think it's going to be real hard. But, uh, you know, one thing you got, Bill, if they, and I, I do think they're going to lose because, I mean, what does Newton really have? Not that much. And so uh, and you kind of get that negative feel from that team. And can you imagine the celebration in Buffalo if they <laughs> finally, after two decades, take the division title away from the New England Patriots? Oh, they're going to be throwing people through folding tables left and right. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's going to be incredible (laughs) to see what they can do in that. And then, of course, the other big game in the AFC is going to be, you know, the Baltimore Ravens going against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And even though the Ravens are favored by a little over a field goal, uh, the thought still is Pittsburgh might be coming in as a little bit of a better team. Sure, they're not the same without Devin Bush. Sure, the Baltimore defense is better now that they made the trade and, you know, got uh, Unique and Dockway. But, uh, you know, Pittsburgh's offense is performing at a very high level. I mean, high enough right now that uh, you know you can see that uh, you know Ben Roethlisberger is having a great year. You know they've got uh, you know Chase Claypool who's been fantastic, one of the best rookie receivers and one of the best rookie drafts we've ever seen. Then you look over and you see uh, you know they've they've got uh, you know a lot of good things going on there on defense. Again, even though they lost Devin Bush, but I, th- I look at it right now is that it would not surprise me. You know, I would you know I'd lean toward Baltimore because the game's in Baltimore, but there's hardly any fans there. But I would have to think in the end this is a good chance for the Steelers to get a win, and if they can, with a little bit of the easy schedule that they have down the stretch, compared to you know not that much, a little tougher for Baltimore. I think Pittsburgh can be you know up there competing against Kansas City for the number one seed. I, I went into the season thinking that Kansas City. Pittsburgh and Baltimore were all going to be 12 and 4 and so far I don't think they've proven themselves uh, wrong yet. No, yeah, and I think Kansas City they've got the easiest yeah. game of the week, a home game against the Jets. I Oof. think they're what 19 and a half point favorites. It depends on where you look. I mean, I saw one uh odds maker that had it at 21 and a half, Oof. which was the eighth most in uh NFL history. The eighth most. I think there was a Jacksonville game back years ago against Denver where it was actually 27 and a half points. Wow. Yeah. On a bad Jacksonville team. It's it's going to be a, a bloodbath in Kansas oh. City between the Chiefs and Jets. Uh, but yeah, John, you mentioned that Steelers-Ravens game. That one's going to be maybe the game of the week mm-hmm. in terms of, of just overall competition. Speaking of the Ravens, big news uh, this morning. That'd be Ronnie Stanley. Uh, they're all pro uh, offensive linemen. He gets that huge five-year, 98.75 million dollar extension, uh, including 70.9 million dollars in total guarantees uh, signed through the 2025 season. Uh, he is one of the best uh, left tackles in all of football, John. 
Uh, what do you make of this deal, and uh, how does it impact Baltimore's cap heading into next season? Uh, well, it's going to be tight because, again, it's like uh, you know they're they're going to be uh, all teams are going to be pretty well challenged. But you know the one thing is, and that's why again, it's like when I hear the initial words, I just shake my head, being as I study this all the time and saying, okay, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, because like for example, there's no way he's getting ninety eight million dollars guaranteed, no way. And the reason is, is that, you know, what you're looking at is usually two times the average and you're looking at, uh, you know, 20. So it's like it's probably uh, 40 million guaranteed. Maybe it's 45 million guaranteed, but it's not going to be that much. And I don't include the injury guarantees because you have to be injured to be able to do it. Now, we did see that Odell Beckham Jr., he got the ACL injury and he has a 13 million dollar guaranteed base salary for next year. Well, that will be they'll have to put up for that because, again, he's not going to pass the physical in March. But if you, uh, you know. Don't pass the physical. You don't have to worry about it if you if you're going to be healthy. So it's a but the injury guarantee the team has to pay if there's going to be an injury. But I think that what it does show that uh, Laramie Tunsil got overpaid by the former GM head coach of the Houston Texans. You know when they got him 22 million a year. Stanley's better and he gets under 20, which I think is the right number. And so I give him credit. Now the one thing that you'll see in the deal, I think it's going to be like the Kansas City deals and all that stuff. There's not going to be a lot of uh, big money coming in in the first two, three years because, again, the cap's going to be so tight, maybe particularly next year's cap. So I think they'll work around it. They do a good job there. So, again, it's like you watch. It'll be you know the $22 million signing bonus. The cap will not be vast next year as far as that goes. But, uh, hey, they made it work, and they've done a good job of making everything work. You mean to tell me Bill O'Brien wasn't a good GM? Uh, I think it's safe to say that he was not a very good GM. No question about it. Yeah. Looking across the NFL this week, we know, John, you love to take a look at that injury report, especially the Thursday heading into Friday Mm -hmm. one. What are some of the biggest injuries you're seeing out there that could have a huge impact on Sunday? Well, I mean, certainly I think you have to look uh, very solidly to this Seattle game. I mean, because, again, it's like, uh, you know, you have running backs that are going to be gone and, you know, where are they going to be in the secondary for the 49ers you know Philadelphia they they they've been ravaged I mean they came back and of course they got the game Sunday night against the Dallas Cowboys another battered team but when they finished the game on Sunday uh the Eagles had only two starters left on offense that was Carson Wentz and also uh you know their starting center Jason Kelsey that was it but it looks like you know they're starting to get some guys back you know they have Jason Peters I think he's going to come off the injured list and so he can maybe help out at tackle at left tackle and I think that Lane Johnson is expected to play uh that's going to be huge you know still kind of up in the air as far as Dalvin Cook but then who cares it's the Minnesota Vikings and they're having a terrible season but uh yeah injuries play a big part but then you also look at the Vikings I think I just saw that uh you know they had to scratch uh, two cornerbacks their two starting cornerbacks and so they're just going to get carved up carved up by the Green Bay Packers I mean Aaron Rodgers you know I'd say he throw for 400 yards but the way I look at this game he won't, and the reason will be that they'll go to their backup quarterback sometime early in the fourth quarter because they're going to have such a big lead because there's no cornerback right now that can uh, really hold up going against Aaron Rodgers. Coming up next, we're going to talk uh, 49er football with Nick Wagner from ESPN.com. He covers the 49ers. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.